Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. And Romans chapter number two, and if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter two. I'll take our time together this morning. I want to look at one verse, verse number four, Romans chapter two, and then verse number four. And Paul is writing this to those that are at Rome. He's already given us chapter number one, where we saw what it looks like to turn and run from the Creator, and how we spiral down into atheism, paganism from there. Elevating ourselves to be God as opposed to going after God. Now in chapter number 2, he's addressing his attention to those that would have uh, some, some measure of, of morality or civility about themselves who would think, that's right, Paul, all those really, really awful people who do really awful things, you tell them how bad they are. Because I don't do bad stuff like they do, so I'm, I'm okay. In chapter 2, Paul is dealing with that mentality or that mindset. We saw the first part of this chapter already. We saw it last week. But this morning we're in verse number 4. I want to take this just singular verse to kind of open it up for what it means for us today. Let's talk about this idea. Is God good? Very good. All the time. Amen. What about seasons of pain? What about when you're in conflict? What about when you receive that diagnosis? What about when you're facing depression? What about when you're stressed out? What about when that person's walked out of your life and isn't coming back? Is God still good? Yes, all the time. Look at Romans chapter 4, or Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his, the his there is speaking of God. So, or despisest thou God's riches. His riches is seen in what way? Of his goodness, his forbearance, and his longsuffering. God is, God is rich in three ways according to verse number four. God is rich according to goodness, to forbearance and to long suffering. Do you see that? Not knowing. So, do you despise God's goodness? Look down on it. Treat it as something light or trivial. Do you underestimate how good and patient and long suffering God is? Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The word goodness here could be perhaps better explained with our word as kindness. It's not goodness as opposed to badness. It's not God is good and not bad. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying the goodness of God in the sense that God is kind or that God is generous or that God is benevolent, that God is merciful. The goodness of God, the mercy, the generous, the graciousness, the benevolence, the kindness of God, it leads you to repentance. This is what we mean when we say things like, God is good. We mean God's nature is kind. God's nature is merciful. God's nature is patient. And because God is kind and merciful and patient, because God is good, then we should praise Him. And we should honor Him. And we should worship Him. In fact, you'll find this idea all throughout the Bible. This Psalms 34, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man that trusts in Him. In 1 Chronicles, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endureth forever. In Psalms 119, because thou art good and doest good. In Psalms 27, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In Psalms 145, the Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all of His works. God is good. You do, do something for me? Look at the person next to you and say, hey, God's good. Now, if you didn't do that, the rest of this sermon is for you. How is God good? What way is God good? Why is it important to be reminded of God's goodness? We'll talk about these ideas this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, your day, for this day. We thank you for your word. Use it in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Paul in chapter number 2 of Romans in verse number 4 is explaining to us why it is essential to focus on the goodness of God. That's, verse, that's point number 1. It is essential to focus on God's goodness. We gave you an outline in hopes that you would write a few ideas down because I want you to be reminded of them later. Paul is showing us what it means or what it looks like when we forget to focus on God's goodness. That's been the entire chapter, chapter number one. This is what not focusing on God's goodness, this is what it plays out like, or this is what it looks like in your life. This is what it means to fail to see how good God is being in your life. So we, we, we need to understand this because in understanding it, we can then avoid it. Now how do we see, how do we come to know just how good God is? There's a letter A there. When we fail to see God's goodness, we start claiming credit 
for the things that God has done in our lives. So when we, we start claiming credit, we start thinking as if we got ourselves to where we are. When we start down the path of assuming that we are good and God is not, that we are by nature good and God by nature isn't, well then that leads us to a place where we experience a lot of stress, a lot of depression, and actually what Paul argues in chapter number one actually quickly leads you to the place where you will experience the judgment of God in your life. That's verse number eight. Or verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse number 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. It's also seen in verse number 23. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. And so Paul is saying that actually the judgment of God that comes into our lives comes as a result of failing to realize just how good our God is. You see this judgment in human history. You see this, this judgment happening in in and around our world and globe, even now. It's one of the distinguishing characteristics of the end times. Did you know this? That almost every reference about the end times includes some sort of idea where men become unthankful or ungrateful, and they become self-centered. They become self-focused. They become ungrateful for all God's good work in their lives, and they only focus on how self-centered or self-good or self-willed or self-righteous they think that they are. When history comes to a close, this is one of the distinguishing characteristics that will be found in society. If I were to, if I were to ask you, what are the worst sins that you could ever commit in this life? What are, the, what are the top ten worst sins that you could ever commit? And you might, what might be on the list? You may say some sort of sexual sin, perhaps, perhaps greed or, or murder or hatred. Maybe, maybe, you would, maybe you would mention bitterness. You know, God actually says one of the worst things. In fact, the worst things that you can do is that you know God and yet you glorify Him not as God. And everything else flows from there. This is actually the root of, of atheism or, or paganism, is that we believe God, we know God, we understand God to be at work in and around and through our lives, and yet we reject Him. We don't want Him at work in our lives. We don't want Him at work in our family. We don't want to acknowledge that He has a purpose and plan for our lives. I don't want someone else telling me what to do with my time. What's someone else telling me what to do with my identity? What's someone else telling me what to do with my, with my sexuality? I want to use it for myself. This, is the, this has been quite literally the worst example that Paul can come up with of what it means to be running from God. 
You forget how good God is. You start claiming credit. When you begin claiming credit, you become self-focused. You become self-justifying. Turning your back on a good and loving God who has given all good things to us in this life. We start claiming credit. Number, letter B there, we, we stop asking for help. Yeah, this is a big problem. Is when we think that we are the ones who got us to the place that we are at, well then we forget how much help God is willing to pour out on our lives. You forget how good God is and how willing God is to help us. Why? Because we're depending on ourselves. We're the ones who got us here. God wants to help you. God desires to help you in every and any situation. In fact, over 20 times in the New Testament, you will find a commandment where God's Word tells us to ask, to go to Him and ask, to, to pray, to call out. You find this all throughout the book of Psalms. David is going to God over and over and over. In any and in every type of situation, David goes to the Lord and asks Him. You say, well, pastor, I don't want to bother God with all my little petty problems. I'll just handle them on my own. But have you considered every problem is small to God? Every problem is small to God. So the idea that I only want God to handle the big problems, it would imply that there was a problem as big as God is, and yet there isn't. You know, all the problems are small to God compared to Him. And yet God over and over in His Word says, ask, cry out, I'll, I'll help you, I'm, I'm willing to help you, I want to help you. We stop asking God for help and we start trying to figure out a way to get through life on our own. And we, we start claiming credit for the good things that happen in our lives. We stop asking God. We experience trouble in our lives. And then third, we become self-righteous toward others. We become self-righteous toward others. This is really the entire chapter. Chapter 2 is quite literally a picture of self-righteousness. That when you forget how good God really is and how much God has actually done for you and how far you were from the Lord and how He brought you to Himself, when you forget that, you become very pessimistic, pessimistic about your world. You become pessimistic because you lose hope. You lose hope because you forget just how good God is. See, if God isn't good, then there is no hope. And because you lose hope, you have to pull everyone else into the same hopelessness that you are experiencing. So, I don't like what's happening in my life. I'm claiming credit for why my life is where it is. I've stopped asking God to help me in, through, or with the problems that life has brought my way. And now I've got to bring everybody else into, into my idea of, of hopelessness or depression. Is really how the chapter ends. You're not just doing that yourself, but you're, you're rejoicing that other people do the same thing. You're applauding people who have a spirit that is completely against the spirit that God says believers ought to have. Why do you do that? Because you want to feel better about yourself, that's why. What a terrible way to live. What a terrible way to live. What a terrible outlook on life. We can find any good thing that's happening, we can only get together and rejoice about the bad things that are happening and how we're all so happy to partake in them. What a terrible way to live. It's the Eeyore syndrome, right? Remember Winnie the Pooh? 
in Eeyore. Oh, such a bad day. Life is so miserable. It's essential, Paul says, that we do not despise God's goodness. It's essential that you do not think lightly about how good God has been to you. It is essential that you do not underestimate the true value of God's goodness in your life. Mercy despised is the severest of all the sins, Paul says. It's essential then. It's essential for you and for me. In good times and bad times, in dark days and sunshine, it is essential to focus on God's goodness because not doing so pulls us into a never-ending circle of hopelessness. Not just that, but number two, there's the endurance of God's goodness. He uses two words, really, to describe the riches of His goodness. So the riches of His goodness described in two ways, and the two words are forbearance and long-suffering. What does that mean? Look at the verse, verse number four. Or despises thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. It means that God is holding back His anger and is granting blessing because God is benevolent, because God is good, because God is gracious, because God is merciful. Because God is good, God is patient for a very long time. Because God is good, God is patient forbearing, long-suffering, and He is patient for a very long time. Because God is good, He is generous with the judgment that He rightly can pour out on all of us for the sin in our lives. So if God is all justice, then God would have wiped us out a long time ago. If God were all wrath, then our world would have ended long before it ever began. But God is not simply justice, and God is not simply wrath. God is by nature good and kind and merciful and patient and long-suffering. It's true, God is a God of justice and God is a God of wrath. This is also true, but it's not only true. They're both true, and God's goodness causes Him to be patient and long-suffering in His justice and wrath in and over our lives. This is called common grace. God makes the sun to rise. That's how good He is. God makes the rain to fall. That's how good He is. Yes, rain falling is good. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. God does good things. He lets the sun come up for those who are good and righteous and trying to live righteously, but He also makes the sun come up for those who are in full rebellion against Him. The sun rose for everyone this morning, not just for you and for me. The sun rose earlier than we would like for it to have risen, but it still rose. The earth flies through the space. This is a measure of God's goodness. The seasons change. This is a measure of God's goodness. 
The rivers flow. The, the ocean crashes waves onto the beach. This is a measure of God's goodness. The fields bring forth produce. This is a measure of how good God is. This is how good God is to all of us all the time. You got breath in your lungs today? That's how good God is. Your heart is beating today? That's how good God is. Your brain is thinking today? That's how good God is. And your brain is thinking, and your heart is beating, and your lungs are breathing, and they're doing it all on their own. You're not sitting here right now going, breathe, 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 breathe. You're not sitting here right now going, beat, okay, heart, beat, okay, heart, beat. Okay, heart, beat. You're sitting here right now thinking of your grocery and to-do list while you're listening to me. This, is, this naturally happens. This is how good God is. This is, listen, even in the natural, God has worked the supernatural. Even in what things we go, well, that's natural. That's, that, that's, everyone receives that, yes. But do you see how even that is a measure of how good God is? Because your heart does not have to beat, and your lungs do not have to breathe, and your brain does not have to think, and the sun did not have to rise, and it does not have to set, and yet it will, and yet it does. Why? Because God is good to us in this way. That's why. And God is good to us in a thousand ways like that every day. God is good to us 10,000 ways every day that way. So do you think lightly of his goodness? Do you underestimate, Paul is asking you and me, do you underestimate just how good God is. Oh, how easy it is to go through hard times and go, man, God is not good. I didn't get what I thought I wanted. And yet, just think of it, how good God is to us. To let the sun rise and the rain fall, breath to fill our lungs, words to roll off of our lips, and thoughts to pass through our mind and to experience taste on the back of our tongues. Even your taste buds tell you how good God is to you. Imagine if everything tasted like broccoli. That would be awful. You would never want to eat anything again. Here's steak. It tastes like broccoli. No, no, no thank you. And yet you can discern the difference between sweet and sour. You can discern the difference between, between bitter and savory. You can discern the difference on the back of your mouth. Even in that, God is being so good to us. Do you think lightly? Do you despise how good God is? How, how good then is God? That God is good in these ways. That God is good and that He gives us eternal life the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse number 47, that whosoever believes on Him, believes on Jesus, has everlasting life. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 12. He adds this, and he who has the Son has life. 
Eternal life is not something that's just simply reserved for heaven. Eternal life is what you and I experience even right now while we are on this earth. God gives joy and God gives life and God gives joy and life. He says abundantly. It's like it's over and over and over again. The psalmist David would say it's like your cup being filled up and then running over, spilling over is the eternal life and joy that God gives to you and to me. God is good in that he gives purpose. Number two, God is good in that he gives purpose during the worst tragedies of life. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28 reminds us that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. It's an easy verse to believe when your medical diagnosis is clear. It's an easy verse to believe when the sun is shining on your life. It's something else entirely when darkness has fallen on your heart. We doubt that verse for several reasons. The beginning part of that verse says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. Think of that. Here's why we doubt that verse. We doubt it for two reasons. Number one, because we don't know. So we, we, we go, I don't really know if this is actually good. I'm, I'm doubting that this is good. I don't see how this is good. And yet that implication would mean that we could see everything that God sees, and yet we can't. We cannot see all that God sees. We don't know all that God knows. But what we do know, we do not know all that he knows, but what we do know is we do know that he works all things for good. And so whatever is working for good, whether it can be seen or unseen, we know is good because God does see all that we cannot see. The second reason we doubt that verse is because it says all things. And we know all things work together for good. And we would say that verse, well, sometimes we know that some things work together for good. Listen, the verse does not say that all things are good. The verse says all things work for good. Cancer was not good. But God will work it for your good. Divorce wasn't good, but God will work it for your good. A, a, a fractured relationship wasn't good, but God will work it for your good. That's how good our God is. Is he works this for our good. And, and what does he work for our good? All things. Everything that comes into your life, God, because he is infinite, because he is bigger and greater and grander than you and I could have, because he has all the omnis, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, because he has all the omnis and we don't. God is always working these things for our good. So whether we understand that or not, God is doing this. And really, the key word there, though, is good, isn't it? That we know that God works all things for good. We take good to mean my happiness. We take good to mean my health. We take good to mean my success. And those things are good. Your happiness, your health, your success, those things are good. But hear me. God's good far exceeds our limited understanding of good. 
God is not working good for our own happiness or health for a few short years on this life, on this earth here. God is working our good, not for a few short years. God is working our good for all of eternity. God isn't working our good for 75 years in this planet. God is working our good for all of eternity. Why? Because we spend millions and millions and millions and millions of years someplace other than right here. Life is a vapor. It's short. It's here for just a little while, and then it vanishes away. Oh, but friend, you will spend eternity someplace other than here. And so when I consider the suffering of this present life compared to the glory that is to come, I have to reckon that it's not even comparable. It's not even comparable. Oh, how good God is to give us eternal life and to work all things in our lives for his own good purposes. Sometimes we forget verse number 29 of that chapter. Verse number 28, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Look at verse number 29. Verse number 29, he tells you, he tells you how he's going to do that. Watch this, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, and here's how he's going to do it. Here's how he's working everything for good. Look, to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see that? Do you see that? I want you to look at it. Look at, look at the verse. It's just two pages over. Just look at the verse. Romans 8, verse 29. Okay, verse 28 is the one that we all know. Verse 29 is the one we forget. How is he going to do this? He's doing this for whom he did for no, he did predestinate. And here how he, here's how he's working everything for good in you. Here's how he's taking all things in your life and he's working good. Here's how to be conformed to the image of his son. Look, here's what he just said. Anything that makes us like Jesus is good. Anything that God works in my life that makes me like Jesus, then it is a good thing for God to be doing in my life. And this gives us an entirely new perspective on heartache, on tragedy, on suffering. Why? Because God says he's going to chip away at our character. He's going to, he's going to chip away at our affections. He's going to chip away at our dreams. He's going to chip away at these things until he's molded us and made us into his image. Paul would talk about this in 1 Thessalonians. He was saying, while we do not yet know what we will be, we do know this, we will be like him. I don't know everything that we're going to be like when we're in heaven, but I do know this, that when we're in heaven, we're going to be just like Jesus when we get there. What that means is everything that God is chipping away at our life is, is molding us and making us and getting us ready to step into glory land, getting us ready to step into heaven where in heaven we will be made just like Jesus Christ. We do not become gods. We do not become Christ. We do not elevate ourselves to deity. That's a false religion. But we will be made like him. 
And everything that God is doing in our lives right now, he is doing it to make us like him. So when we rebel or when we recant or when we push back or when we grow bitter or when we get angry, this is not like Jesus. What is like Jesus? You know what like Jesus was at the worst suffering for the sin of all the world? Jesus is knelt in the garden and what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. I would have preferred for this cup to be passed from me. I would have preferred a different set of circumstances. I would have preferred a different diagnosis. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because I want to be just like a Jesus, Father. So nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So work this for good in my life. God is good in that he gives us purpose. God is good. Number three, I've got to go quick. God is good. And that he gives us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God for everything we need in this life. Listen to the verse. 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 3. According to his divine power, he hath given to us all things. Look, there's that phrase again. All things. According to his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything you need for life, God has given to you. In what way? Through his word and by his spirit. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God is good in that everything you need for life, he gave to you through his Holy Spirit. And through his word. God is good. In that he gives us whatever we need. So that we can be content. With whatever our circumstances. I'm thinking specifically of verses like Philippians chapter 4 verse number 19. Which speaks to how God supplies all of our needs. In Christ Jesus. I'm thinking about James chapter number 1, verse number 17. It tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift, it cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is giving good things to his children all the time. God is good. Last one. God is good in that he gives us a hope for the future. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. For I know, this is God speaking, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I know the thoughts I think toward you, and those thoughts, God says, those are good thoughts. You want to know what God is thinking about you right now? He's thinking really good thoughts about you right now. That's how loving and good and generous and kind and merciful our God is. And God is good in those ways. God is good in this way. Last one. The extent. Okay, look at the verse. Because I wish the verse stopped right there, don't you? Like, okay, that's enough. That, that, that's good. I like that. Let's just think about how good God is. But look, the verse tells you why 
To, to what end? What, what is the reason why God is being so kind to us? What is the reason why God is being so good to us? Look at the verse. Verse number 4 of chapter 2. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Do you see that? Okay. Why is God in these ways? And I came up with, what, what I have on your paper? Five things? We could, we could come up with 15, right? We could come up with all kinds of other ways that God is good to us. Why is God good to me in this way? This is what Paul, Paul's trying to get under just the experience of goodness. He's getting under and he's saying, but think about it. Think about it, friend. Think about it. Think about it, Christian. Think about it, non-Christian. Think about it, church member. Think about it, think about it, choir member. Think about it, deacon. Think about it, pastor. Think about it, Sunday school teacher, connection group leader. Think about it. Why? Why is God being good to you in these ways? Knowing not that the goodness of God leads you to just be happy for the rest of your life and just never have any problems. And just believe. And if you believe, you achieve. Is that, is that why he's being good to you? No, no. Knowing not that the goodness of God leads you to your comfort zone, to retirement, to be a millionaire. Is that what it says? If your Bible says that, you got the wrong one. No, no. Do you, do you not, he's saying, knowing not, do you, do you not understand that God is being good to you in this way? Why? Because he's pulling you. He's leading you. He's bringing you to what? To repentance. What? No, no, no. He's leading us. Repentance is a really big, it's an old Christian word. It literally means to turn from your sin. So God's goodness is leading us to turn from our sin. But to turn where? To turn from our sin toward Him. So not knowing that God's goodness is pulling you, it's leading you to turn from your sin and that you might follow Him. Remember the very beginning we said it's essential to know God's being good. It's essential to know God is good. It's essential to know God works good because when you don't, then what you start to think is that you've got yourself where you are and you don't really need God. And you don't need a master. You don't need a boss. You don't need a God. You're your own. No, so do you not understand that God's goodness is leading you to repent, to turn from what? From the idea of thinking that you don't need him. God's goodness is leading you to realize just how good he is and just how much we need him in our lives. You not realize that God's goodness is leading you to repent? Why repent? Because God is a God of justice and wrath. Why? Why, why repent of our sin? Why repent of our sin? Because if all God is is a God who has a tray of cookies, then why do I ever need to repent of my sin? If all God ever does is give me things I want, and he never judges sin, 
He never pours wrath out. Judgment never comes. Then why do I need to repent? You see, you see, how, you see how this is working in Romans 1? Why? Because here's what they say. People have two ideas of God, generally speaking. They think God is either walking around with a tray of cookies, only giving out good things and never, never pointing out the flaws, the errors, the mistakes, or the sin in our lives. Or people think that God is walking around with a clipboard and he's only waiting for us to mess up. And as soon as we mess up, he's taking note. Oh, you messed up? Here's, some, here's a lightning bolt and here's leprosy and I'm going to get you, right? People have this idea that God is either walking around with a tray of cookies or a clipboard. And that he is one or the other. Listen, he's both. And God is doing good things. I really like cookies, don't you? And God is doing good things in your life. But why is he doing that? Here's why. Because God is a God who does judge sin. And those who have turned from him, they I don't want you to be my God. I don't want you to be my master. I don't want you to tell me how to live. I don't want you to tell me how to use my identity. I don't want you to tell me how to use my sexuality. I don't want you as my God. Then they are running from him. And God's goodness is saying, come, no, 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 you don't want to run from him. You don't, you don't want to flee from him. You don't want to be your own God. Why? Because the wrath of God pours out on anyone who rejects him. That's why. So don't run from me, is what he's saying. He said, don't run from me. Look what I'm doing for you. Look how I love you. Look how patient I am with you. Do not run from this. No, no, no. Instead, run to him. That's what he's saying. You don't have to run from God. You can run to him. This is it. Watch. Jesus tells a story of two sons in their father's house. And one son goes to his father and says, give me everything that I have coming to me. I want my inheritance. I don't like you. I think your way of living is crazy. I don't like all the rules you have. I don't like all the things you make us do. I want to be my own boss. and be my own master. and be my own man. So give me my inheritance. And the father doesn't have to. He goes, gets the son's inheritance. And he gives it to the son. Jesus says that that son then goes into the town and he wastes his substance. He wastes the inheritance on what Jesus calls riotous living. Which is a way to say he just partied it up. He just did what he wanted to do. He lived how he wanted to live. He was his own boss. He was his own master. He called his own shots. He had all of his friends. And then he lost all of his money. And when he lost all of his money, he had no more place to stay. It's funny how that works. Now all of his friends, oh, you're out of money? We're gone. You're out of money? You're out of friends. And the man finds himself sleeping in a pig's pen, eating food out of the trough with all the other pigs. And the Bible says, and then he came to himself. That's like light bulb. It went, ding, and he came to himself and he said, you know, how many servants does my father have in his house who live better than I live? I'm going to go back and I'm going to be a servant in my dad's house. My dad's standing there with a clipboard and he'll let me be a servant at least. The Bible says that the son got up and he went back home to the father and there as he turned down the lane, 
There his dad was standing on the porch and he saw his son, the Bible says, a great way off. So I'm all the way down the road and he took off running for him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and he clothed him with the finest robe and he put the best ring on his finger and he said, go get the fatted calf and kill it. My son was dead and is alive. Let's eat and let's celebrate my son's come home. You see, the son had it all backwards, didn't he? He had it all backwards. And in this way, we have it backwards with God. God is good to us. And God loves us. And God cares for us. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And God fills us with his spirit. And God gives us his word. And God gives us common grace every day as a way to bring us back to him. And yet, so many times in my life, I run from him because I don't, I want to be my own God. I want to be my own master. I want to do my own thing. And Lord, oh Lord, forgive me for the times where I've ran from you instead of running to you. And could you say that too this morning? Oh, Lord, you are a good and great God. I'm so thankful for all you've done for me.